0: Guru Nation, welcome to episode 398 of Random Usings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I'm actually doing my monthly Guru Nation virtual meetup where we just invite anyone who wants to come on and we talk about whatever it is that they want to talk about. So we had a good turnout this month. We had people discussing how sites responded to the pandemic that we're in, the COVID-19 pandemic we also had uh, some discussions on the FDA's guidance for what sites and sponsors should be doing during the pandemic Uh, and we're talking about and we're hypothesizing okay what are the growth areas in research Uh, what are the growth areas for career-wise for people what are the growth areas if you're a site Uh, technologies all those kind of things we discuss here we even get into some personal branding stuff which i think is important for obviously individuals but also for businesses alike and that's actually what i discuss on my patreon channel every week with short one to eight minute videos on how to improve your personal branding how to post on linkedin what to post on linkedin how to write an ebook how to start a podcast how to do youtube how to do twitter how to write articles whatever it is you're comfortable with doing you need to be doing it on social media because that is your brand. That is what I teach on my Patreon channel. We also have a monthly mastermind where we discuss what we've done. We hold each other accountable. Uh, it's only five bucks a month, so patreon.com slash Links are in the show notes. You can also text me, 949-415-6256 to let me know that you're listening. We also have a service where we get sites studies. We negotiate their budgets. We create their source stocks, their SOPs, all those things. A flat monthly fee of 1299 bucks. So text me, 949-415-6256 if you're interested in that. Also, check out the show notes for the CRA and CRC Academies that we have. Both of them are three months online, virtual, and then there's an internship component as well. So check those out in the show notes. With that being said, enjoy this episode. Yes. Little Rock is actually a good location. We used to have a client there. Um, We had a few clients there, but we had a client in Little Rock with a cardio... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, cardio, cardiovascular, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we did cardiovascular too. It's, uh, it's called atrial clinical research. And we, we did uh, cardiovascular, we did a lot of... Oh, uh, that's hormone. right,
0: that's right, that's right. So how's everything going?
1: Pretty good, pretty good. It's a uh, little wrong. I mean, Arkansas was not that affected with the coronavirus. So it did stay well for the first two months. But now with everything opening up, it is increasing a bit, you know, so. It's increasing,
0: yeah. yeah. Same thing here, you know, it's increasing in the West, in the California, Arizona. But, uh, I mean, we expect the numbers to go up if they're testing more people, so I don't know. You know, it's kind of hard to figure out who to believe or how much uh, emphasis should be placed on these numbers. But, uh, you know, it's definitely something we're going to have to deal with for the rest of the year.
1: So, but how, how about the sites? Are you guys are doing okay
0: in terms of the... Sites are good. We're in uh, startup mode for a lot of the sites and uh, we're doing a lot of uh, CNS primarily. So right now, Chris and Monica are on a um, call with a a sponsor for a study startup, uh, site Mm -hmm. selection visit basically for a postpartum depression study. There's a lot in the CNS space right now. There's a lot of studies... Uh, in CNS, in gastro, uh, respiratory, so we're seeing a lot of stuff uh, in like basically in startup mode. And this particular study that they're the reason they're not on this call is because they're on that call. It's planning to get started uh, immediately, so they want to activate the sites virtually, and at some point the monitors are going to come and do the. IMVs. I know yesterday when I went to a client's office in uh, north of Los Angeles in this place called Ventura, there was a monitor there. There was a CRA there monitoring. So, so things are getting back, you know, despite this uh, increase in cases. Um, looks like the industry is picking up right where it left off. And a lot of studies are in the startup mode and uh, getting started. How about you? Are you seeing any studies in startups?
1: Oh yeah. Same, same thing with, uh, with us, you know, we had almost four studies startup in the last uh, two weeks. And in fact, we have a couple of studies in the next week, you know, I mean, mostly most of them are virtual uh, startups, but one of them wanted to come to the site because they've well, we've never done any study with them before. So they mm-hmm. are coming next Tuesday.
0: So are yeah. they local? No, Is the CRA local to Arkansas or are they traveling?
1: No, they're traveling. They're traveling from, uh, Florida. So it's kind of, uh, <laughs>
0: wow. To <laughs> you get a quarantine them for, uh, so yesterday when I went to this site, this site's very proactive. Um, it's locked. You have to ring the bell. Then, uh, somebody came out, took my temperature, let me in, did the same thing to Chris, let him in. And then once you're in, uh, you have to be like six feet away from other people. So, there was another monitor there, so they couldn't put me in the same uh, space. So I had to set up in the lobby, in the, you know, in the site lobby. The they brought a table for me there to monitor. But you know, uh, I prefer that because I, if I'm gonna be monitoring, I don't want to be next to another monitor. I mean, I don't know where they came from, so it's better that way. And the the lobby was not, they were not allowing patients inside. Uh, it was locked so I felt more comfortable this way um, as uh, you know for monitoring and I'm sure sites are doing similar things uh, across the country are you guys like do you have a SOP for COVID like as far as monitors and patients or nothing
1: it's exactly the same thing as you said you know we do the same thing you know we have a bell in the outside so they have to ring the bell that come in we take a temperature check these things you know you just have to be uh, careful because you know if there is, let's say there's an outbreak and uh, the Department of Health went walk in and ask us, okay, like, what what are you guys doing? So we have got a sign-in sheet know, everybody signs in there and we record all those things. You know, there are like six to seven uh, questions which we ask, it's on the CDC website, saying, did you have any fever? Did you have any pneumonia, cough, shortness of breath, loss of uh, smell and taste and any travel to the, uh, any kind of COVID areas. So once they are okay with that, and also we don't let two monitors come at one time. We always let one of them, maybe
0: just one Really? Time. Okay. So, so just yeah. one monitor at a time. How many studies do you guys have uh, per year on average? I remember you guys were relatively busy when we were working with you guys.
1: Yeah, we, we, right now we have around 22 studies. Wow. But uh, there are some uh, GI trials, which is probably not enrolling any patients. You know, we have got UC and Crohn's, we've got uh, four of those studies. Uh-huh. So, those were not, uh, I mean, we did uh, screen few patients. So, other than yeah. that, we have got a lot of asthma studies. We have got three asthma studies. And with this COVID, we had to stop the PFTs on those patients. You know, we, they, we still had the visits, but we didn't do the PFTs uh, because we're kind of concerned with the employees, you know, they were not uh, very open to do them.
0: The, the respiratory and, assessments, the one where they're breathing in the yeah. spirometer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I've done uh, two asthma studies, and I, I can see how that could be problematic for the staff, uh, definitely. Now, but you were seeing patients physically, where you were not doing virtual visits with patients? You were actually, they were coming into the site?
1: Yeah, they were, because, I mean, most of the patients whom we had, and you know, we've been doing asthma for the last five years. Okay. So most patients, are, uh, they they know us really well. So not not many of them uh, declined to competition
0: like yeah you guys have been you guys have been a client for or you you know you guys have it was a long time that you were with us uh back in the days i think when we yeah. were first starting our services that's uh really good I'm glad to see that you guys took off and and established uh that kind of a market share right i think arkansas is a perfect area for Research, not too much competition, although maybe now it's different. I don't know. What is it like there?
1: No, I mean, it's not because uh, Little Rock, uh, I mean, the population is not really big. It's maybe like 200,000. We have got three sites, and one side does exclusively uh, psychiatry, so they don't need any other studies. And the other side is a primary care site. They, they don't do many trials, they're picking and choosing, you know, maybe like five, six trials so we had i mean we used to do only uh, asthma copd but when we joined you i think we got a lot of uh, cns trials and so we yeah. start doing more uh, depression uh, alzheimer's that's, so
0: our that's our bread and butter that's our bread and butter are you guys still with us
1: uh no not now so okay.
0: that's but, okay uh, yeah uh once once the clients are in you know we have like a team that get studies so I'm, i can't keep track of who is anymore but they know they know who's the clients and getting the budgets done and all those kind of things uh if you ever want to come back we'd be happy to have you back
1: oh yeah definitely And uh, right now i'm working with btc you may have heard of them
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: BTC. so i mean they do spend a lot of trials uh probably 80 percent of them are something which we can do so yeah, okay we can choose.
0: So Have, so have, I you, think seen, we, have you guys seen um, uh, any uh, COVID studies?
1: Yeah, we did sign up on few of them and you know, they have not really told. Uh, it's just that they say, okay, seniors wants a feasibility. We just say, okay, we have patients, but they have not told whether it's a treatment trial or it's a vaccine trial. So we did, uh-huh. we did sign up, I think maybe on two or three.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: hospital-based trials. Uh, We didn't sign up on those things, but uh, it's only outpatient-based trials.
0: You know, in Arkansas, something is um, intriguing about... Like, I know Little Rock is not rural, but there's parts of Arkansas, if you go further away, I've always been intrigued by how... Like, the more rural you can get, as long as you have some kind of medical infrastructure, like family care, family practice, maybe urgent care... I really think those areas would be uh, basically you can get any study you want because you have a research-naive population and you have no competition because sponsors are always worried about the duplicate data. And by the way, anybody who's on, feel free to – this is a meetup, so talk about anything, chat, turn on your camera, turn on your mics. Feel free to talk. I'm just talking with Dr. Kumar here. Um, about his site in Arkansas, but I've always been intrigued by the more rural you can get, I think the more opportunities you can have. And uh, it's always good to have that anchor in the big city like Little Rock. I've, uh, I've always been we kind of tried a similar model here with uh, in, in Southern California, but there's really not too much rural here anymore. You have to go to like mm-hmm. central California and we had a site in Bakersfield, which is more rural that was getting a lot of the studies. I mean, so I think there's something in there. I think something about having that set up that works.
1: I think the main challenge would be, I think you have discussed in the past, the PIs, you know, because it's very, they are so busy in, in rural areas, you know, they, in, in terms of primary care, they see around 60 to 70 patients a day, you know, they're so busy and they're like, uh, I can sign a few things, but in terms of PI oversight, it's very hard to have them uh, spend some time on this uh, trial.
0: The oversight is the, <laughs> the name of the game. I mean, if we, if they have enough clinicians, like nurses, to take on the majority of the work, then their oversight can become signing labs, reviewing AEs, you know, just the basics having a progress notes also helps. I mean, or at least co-signing a progress note of a nurse. Um, so I've seen sites kind of do that with the very busy clinics um, because you're still main, you're still showing PI oversight in those cases as it's funny. We were talking about this in the CRA Academy uh, last week, but PI oversight is usually the biggest FDA finding. And it's because the PI is like what you just described in a situation where they're, they're delegating everything to the other staff, which is fine, but they're not documenting anything, anything mm. at all, you know, and that's not okay. I mean, you've got to have your footprint, your fingerprint, whatever you want to call it. If you're the PI on the papers, even if you have another, like an RN checking the labs use or another MD, that's a sub I, you still should co-sign the labs as a PI or with the progress notes or with the vital signs. I mean, those kind of things, it doesn't require that much time. Uh, but I understand what you're saying because it, like saying to do that and actually doing it are two different things, especially an extremely busy place where the workflow is built basically to service the private practice. And, yeah. uh, that's the risk. That's what happens. But those are also the best clinics to do research because they have the patients. They don't need to worry about recruitment. I mean, they worry about recruitment internally, not about getting, you know, where are these patients going to come from? Most of them come from the private practice itself. So yeah, that's a, that's interesting to hear that. But yeah, I think something about the rural uh, communities and, it, and it's something that the sponsors are trying to do also with virtual trials because they know, hey, we want to have patients. We don't just want all the patients in our studies to be people from the cities. You know, we want minorities. We want people from rural places that are maybe hard to get to the clinic. So the answers are either more virtual trials, which they're trying to do, or having more clinics in these rural areas or as rural as you can get you know keeping them a little further away from the cities makes more sense
1: yeah because also the population when you see a lot of patients with medicare and medicaid and affordability is a big issue with them you know so they are more willing to in fact some of them come from the rural areas as you say because the inhalers if you know it will cost around 300 400 for that so they're part of the study you know the study covers that and uh, travel is not a big issue, you know, because it's it's maybe around 70, 80 miles from here. So they do travel, you know, they get uh, paid for the travel also. So,
0: Do you guys use Uber or uh, they just get reimbursed for their uh, so we, own mileage?
1: If, if it's like, like within 20 miles, we use Uber. If it's more than that, we just ask them to bring in a receipt for the gas and we reimburse that.
0: Oh, good. That's good. What's your goal for the rest of the year? Are you expecting, uh, I mean, having 20 studies right now is good. How many are in startup mode right now?
1: So startup we have got, uh, four plus two, six of them.
0: Okay. Wow. And then ongoing.
1: Ongoing we have around uh,
0: 14. Okay. And they were, 14. I mean, basically none of them were impacted by COVID. The, the patients were coming in except for some assessments.
1: I mean, uh, depression studies, we had some of them. Uh, so, uh, of course, the patients uh, did not come in, but they let us do remote, like, visits for those patients. Yeah. We could ship in the medication, so we did uh, do that one.
2: Okay. So,
1: and uh, COPD and asthma were the ones which... Uh, COPD, yeah, we did not have patients come here because we wanted to be very clear about that. Right. And we had a GERD study. So, GERD study, basically, the... Uh, the endoscopy center was closed so we could not do anything with that so those uh we we put a hold on that study now it's now it's open so
0: and for, for your, that, you know, the for your depression to study were you were did you guys ship the drugs or did the sponsor ship the drugs to the patient's home no we shipped the drugs wow okay wow and they were oral pills yeah there are oral pills so. Yeah, see, I'm, and now for that study, patients are coming back or they're still not comfortable coming back?
1: No, they're now they're, now they're coming. I, okay. I think it's only like two months we had that issue. And the sponsor was uh, willing, you know, they they're paying $50 for us to just ship the medication back and forth. When it probably cost us around $20 to do a USPS uh, priority shipping, you know, so.
0: Wow, okay. So someone had to go to the post office yeah. and send them. Wow, that's a lot of work. And th- they didn't really care about the possible temperature excursion, or they kind of factored that in as. Uh...
1: Yeah, I mean, what they told was you know, you just have to record the temperature at the time of uh, shipping. So what we say is okay, well, at uh, the time of shipping, it was uh, 69 degrees Fahrenheit. So.
0: Okay, wow. Interesting. Yeah, I'm always curious because when they send the when they send the IP to the sites, usually with FedEx, they have a temp tail, and you know they, it's going to let you know if there's excursions. Obviously, mm-hmm. sponsors were not prepared for that to do it at that level to the individual sites. Um, so yeah, you know, like a lot of the FDA guidance and the SOPs that the sites and sponsors revised. Um, you know, I'm now that I'm starting to monitor. Some of these sites, I am seeing deviations, but they're due to COVID. You know, just like in your studies where you didn't do the um, assessment, uh, you know, due to COVID, it's still deviation. But they have a new category now for COVID deviations. So uh, it's it's interesting how this is going to play out because things are, like you said, getting back to normal. But if we have another like second wave and they people are getting scared to come out again which is, you know, as of this video, June 24th, we're starting to hear numbers going up. So it'll be interesting to see if this virtual trial, you know, having staff go to the patient's home to give the drugs. Cause that's what we did at my, one of my sites, we do psych. We sent the coordinator to the facilities to give the meds. And then we found a way to draw the blood from, from the facility instead of, them coming to the office. So as long as you revise your SOPs, I think you can do it, but I'd be curious to see how much of this will last going forward, because now you're mm-hmm. revising your SOPs. Technically you can do this even when COVID is is not really an issue, yeah. if that's the case.
1: Yeah, because some patients, they like this, you know, they said I would do a tele-visit then come to the site, you know, so.
0: Patients like this, because more convenient, um, I don't know if the sites like it. It's mixed. And then I know CRAs don't really like it. The CRAs prefer to monitor on site. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
0: so yeah, I think some elements of this will continue going forward. Um, what do you get? Anyone else on here? There's a few people on. What do you guys think? Feel free to turn on your camera or turn on your mic or just chat in the chat box. Um, It's being recorded, but not going anywhere crazy. Just YouTube. Just YouTube and the podcast. But I've been chatting with Dr. Kumar. Um, He's a site owner out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, they're doing a really good job with the studies they have. So anybody else? What are you guys thinking?
3: Hey, Dan. It's Pete here hey
0: pete how's it going man
3: zyme wire i i was looking at the fullest i was looking at my uh uh, all the different events going on and everything i thought how can i understand what's going on out there at the site level the fastest and i thought i'm gonna go to Dan's. (laughs) Dan's (laughs) well you 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 just heard from
0: uh dr kumar i mean
3: yeah that was fascinating actually that uh I've, i've actually been on our slack channel i've been um, posting some some of your quotes to to my team just some of the highlights here so it's been, oh, uh, really useful for, um Thank one you. of the i'm just going to comment from um from the well maybe a question for you guys um how how are you seeing the split from from a vaccine the vaccine work to other so you mentioned gurd um kumar or dr kumar um mm-hmm. How are you guys seeing it from like those that do vaccine work? Like is, um, are you, are you seeing an uptick on that? Are you actually getting the COVID studies? Are you um, kind of diverting? So we, resources did, uh, to that? So
1: we did sign up on few studies and you know, basically they have never told us exactly the entire, they just say, okay, look, uh, one of the sponsors is looking for sites for a COVID study. Do you want to sign up? It's just an open thing. So we just have to say, yeah, yeah, we can do that because, and they say, do you have patients with uh, COVID? We look at the Arkansas, I mean, Little Rock uh, COVID population and uh, I have around eight to 10 physicians whom I work with. So of course, right now, nobody is seeing those patients because everybody has a warning on the door saying, if you have any symptoms, please don't come in. But potentially there are patients who have developed a COVID after they have left the clinic. So we do know about those patients. So when they are, right now they finish their quarantine and they come back to the clinic uh, when they're okay. So those patients may go on this uh, vaccine trials, you know.
3: Mm.
1: And uh, basically there'll be a lot of asymptomatic patients. Uh, One of my friends, uh, he's in Atlanta. So they're doing this trial where uh, if at all, they have one of these symptoms, you know, like let's say uh, fever, Pneumonia or sore throat or loss of smell so they can walk into the clinic and they get a sample uh, taken from the uh, patients So they don't need to have like a uh, full-blown symptoms So I mean they want around 600 patients on that study. So something like that would be would be useful, you know, because there are a lot of asymptomatic patients walking around and uh, We didn't take any studies with symptoms just because of the staff issues, you know, they were kind of concerned. So I didn't want to put them at risk, you know. So I just said that we won't take any studies if there is symptom is an but issue. The opportunities
3: that. Are, are out there, you think, like as a site. Oh, yeah. The opportunities are out yeah. there to get them if you mm-hmm. want to. Yeah.
1: Hospital-based yeah. studies, you know, there are five, six studies which they approached us. But uh, we didn't want to do that as of now, you know. Hmm.
3: Yeah, that's been, yeah. we did a survey. Dan, I don't know if you were in that, but... So our client base is across the whole pharma and biotech spectrum, Um, and we did a survey initially with what people thought the impact would be. Um, So I guess it was like, we had about 300 respondents, which is pretty good, but everything from manufacturers to labs to everything, every part of the pharma supply chain, Um, and it was clinical sites that actually we're predicting the low like of all of our types of clients clinical sites were projecting the largest financial impact like this was like probably day i don't know it was like march 27th maybe so like right in the, the height of the uncertainty so it'd be interested we're thinking now well we should resurvey them and see like did you actually see that financial impact as a mm-hmm. clinical site or did you did you end up doing better maybe in some cases depending okay, on
0: it makes sense that that was the fear. I mean, they you know, we're as a sites, we're paid based on enrollment. And if anything is threatening the enrollment, uh, that's can immediately yeah, impact yeah. the bottom line. As far as sponsors are concerned, they're probably gonna spend less because they only pay as, as sites enroll. But in the long term, they're probably going to lose more if there were significant impacts because all this data, they can't do anything with it now with all these deviations. So it's like short-term and long-term questions, but I think they both are, in, are were in danger of losing quite a bit. Um, I don't think, but I would be interested in those survey results because I know sites, I know some sites have closed, but those were sites that were not really managed well even before covid Um So the majority of sites did not close. The majority of sites were able to weather the storm. I know there were furloughs. I know there were, which is, you know, back to Dr. Kumar's point and your point also with the vaccine studies, I mean, sites are being very picky about what studies they're bringing on. There's so many COVID studies now, especially the sites that are capable of doing that, they don't, they're more concerned about wanting to lose or not wanting to lose their staff. Uh, because the turnover at the site level has increased a lot. And even at CRO levels, you know, and, and it's interesting, those people that got furloughed like in March, they got jobs by April at competitor Hmm. companies. So you don't want to lose staff right now. Uh, I think things are stabilizing again, but you know, back in March, I know a handful of people got furloughed and then in a month got a job that was better and and a job that, that put them further up along their career path uh, that they you know, that was the direction they wanted to go anyway, so it turned out that the bad news for them was actually great news for them
3: Yeah. So. Molly, I, I don't want to hijack this you- How's it I going, was- Molly? A- <laughs> How's everything?
2: I was just going to ask you if you're planning to run that survey again, I just dug it up and was interested to know if Zymeyer would run that again with to, to kind well, of refresh. I,
3: yeah, I think we, we absolutely should. have. Um, yeah, I'm, I am was a little cautious about like where people surveyed out. Oh, know, I like, know. There's yeah. a lot of We're surveys at first there, like, hey, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And I think we got um, in right at the right time. People hadn't done too many surveys that we got. Um, so we sent it to like, we got about 2,000 um, users and so that's it. It was a pretty high response rate, right? Yeah, that is, that's but, an amazing um, response rate. <laughs> the part when I talked to the like our clients across again across the supply chain that I think what people underestimated was the number of companies working on COVID treatments. Like you can mm-hmm. see conceptually to be like, oh yeah, there'll be a lot of, that'll be a hot area, obviously. But <laughs> I mean, there's there's about se- I think there's like over 700 biotech companies working on COVID.
0: Yeah, that's it's almost, amazing
3: because we got a everything It's a lot of business
0: we we obviously use zymewire and uh to look for studies and we noticed like you know we have a teams that use zymewire and use clinical to look for studies and when this stuff was starting you just saw the spike in the number of uh of 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 new trials and you're like what are these trials well most of them were COVID studies i right. mean those are the only studies that were starting around March and April because everything else that was planned for starting in March and April are starting now more or less uh, so yeah like the sites they were able to take advantage of those like I said they're turning studies away because they don't you know they don't want to scare their staff some of these studies are a little questionable as far as how they're actually gonna get patients or even IRB approval uh, I've looked at some discussed with physicians and said how is any IRB gonna approve this um, but, yeah, they were trying, and there's tons of those studies out there. What we're doing, we're doing some uh, COVID treatment studies, not so much vaccines, but, like, different treatments uh, for COVID. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Well, I have a CRO where we're having a uh, – in the fourth quarter of this year, it's supposed to start uh, another COVID study. And hopefully, we can use our virtual trial for that because they're actually interested in the some of the virtual trial services that we offer, mostly remote healthcare workers going to the patients and then using a telehealth platform uh, to capture some of the data. So interesting times guys, what a time to be
3: alive. Yeah. Have you, maybe another question that's probably on a more, um, yeah, not the positive side of more studies and all that, but, um, are you seeing any difference in the, in the psych studies and and that patient population? I mean, we hear, so I'm based in Canada, um, think like Molly, maybe you know that, but and Dan, you know that from it's a little different perspective on it. Like from um, seeing what's happening, it just I mean, it's different healthcare system. But one of the things I've heard is the the levels of um, I think in both countries, just from like the levels of depression going up and the impact to mental health on people being isolated and having less social contact. Are you seeing any of that borne out in the like? kind of the study flow that you're seeing or the patient populations or anything like that?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's crazy because Monica and I, Monica, who's, she can't be on this call cause she's on a depression site selection visit right now. Uh, I mean, literally what's happening right now. So we have this theory and it, we saw this after the 08, you know, the great recession. Cause I was, I was in business back then too. So I saw this and we saw after The Great Recession, you know, six months after you started seeing more people with MDD coming through uh, for obvious reasons. So we're expecting similar. I I don't think it's happened yet. I think it's still too soon. But like within that six month mark, you're going to get a bunch of newly diagnosed people with MDD taking antidepressants, um, anti-anxiolytics. But like a lot of these studies don't allow newly diagnosed. They want you to have that diagnosis for like a year or two. Um, but we are seeing more studies. CNS was hot even before this pandemic, and it slowed down a little, like everything else. But we're seeing an uptick in like, the site selection visits now for the CNS studies. So we will have new a bunch of people, unfortunately, diagnosed, I think, with uh, MDD, GAD. Uh, not so much schizophrenia and bipolar, but uh, MDD, GAD. That's what we saw in 08 after the great recession as well. So, but again, the sponsors, when they make these IE criteria, they usually want a history of MDD. They don't necessarily want newly diagnosed and they also tend to exclude, um, a diagnosis based on an event. They want it to be, that's why they ask for a history because they, they're actually trying to eliminate the people who uh, were laid off and now they're depressed. they actually want people with MDD diagnosis and they want to see like at least a year of that. So even if we do see that, unless those people remain with that diagnosis for like a year, um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to impact recruitment necessarily for MDD studies.
3: Hmm. Well, that's really insightful, Dan. Thanks for that.
0: Yeah, I forget the term for it, but there's something called like event-driven depression or there's there's like a clinical term for it where it's not really MDD, but a doctor can give the diagnosis so that the meds can be covered because it's still depression, uh, but it's not major depressive disorder. Uh, so that's the, there's a difference there. Same thing with anxiety, right? Like you can be anxious for like a week, maybe even a month, but it's not necessarily generalized anxiety disorder.
1: So Dan, I had had a question for you. So when you said that you're using the, uh, was it a home health thing where you send the staff to, is it your staff or do you have you hired a third? Well,
0: yeah, we subcontract, but we have, we've partnered with a mobile phlebotomist and uh, there's another vendor we use for mobile healthcare workers uh, and they're Mm -hmm. nationwide, so we can send them to patients' homes. Uh, But we, we charge at the sponsor level we haven't done it at the site level yet because um, it's not scalable enough. But at the sponsor level, it makes sense for us to do it. And then we also plug in the telehealth uh, through through the clinical scoop that, that we launched last year. Uh, you guys will hear more about that soon. But we're, there's a lot of tech in that company that I'm involved with. And so we got the e-health, the telehealth. That, co- that company actually started and is still doing telehealth. So now we're trying to find a way to get that into clinical research when it comes to these, more of these hybrid trials. It's not fully virtual, but they're hybrid, hybrid trials.
1: So, do, so the staff who goes to the patient's home, do they have to do GCP and all the training and everything?
0: They don't. So the FDA actually released guidance on this like last month or maybe two months ago now. Um, I read it twice and as long as they are just drawing blood from what I read, they don't need to do GCP training, but we have ours do it anyways uh, just to be mm-hmm. safe. I mean, GCP, it's, what, it's like four hours maybe at the most to do the training. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll pay them to do it and uh, just to be on the safe side.
1: So do they have to be in a delegation log with all the protocol training?
0: They don't, but if they're giving the meds, so... If I have a nurse, so if I have a phlebotomist that goes to draw blood, but i I alternate so it's not always the same one. I don't need to put I can just put a note to file. This is the company we're using, and these are the people on their CVs. They don't necessarily need to go on delegation log, but if a nurse is going to inject or like do an infusion, we do need to add them there were, i'll I'll pull up the guidance there was guidance on this so uh, I'll I'll send it to you guys because the FDA released this guidance. Oh, here we go. Molly, Molly already put it in the chat. There's the direct link. Yeah. Let's see when this came out. I think this came out like in
2: May. May, Yeah. It was in May, but that's not the link to the FDA. We, um, I work for a company that provides a, a, learning platform, if you will. And we built out a bunch of extra resources around we have the guidance in there, so you can actually click on that link. And uh, it's okay. got a lot of other resources from um, a few clin- ClinOps execs.
0: Um, That's cool. Other
2: insight. It's just got a lot of extra resources, and it's free. So I figured I'd share that because it might be a little more consumable than the…
0: Thank you. I'll oh, put the link… Uh-
2: I'll put the link in the
0: show notes, too. Underneath this video, you'll see that link that Molly shared and in the podcast. You know, Molly, yeah, because you're the expert on this. Um, I was surprised when the first guidance came out from the FDA and then this one that came out in May. uh, They're basically saying, hey, you do whatever you need to do, guys. Like, you know, we're not going to hold you back. So they're very lenient when it comes to this, like basically sponsor decision and PI decision.
2: I think they have to be. But I also was speaking with someone um, recently who has been in clinical research his whole career. Now he's working in a consulting capacity. And what he said was there's been a bit of a, a personnel change at the FDA and some of the new personnel are much more innovative thinkers. They're thinking more about what responsibility does the government have to ensure public health? And, th- and so his feeling, and I agree with him, is that some of these changes that, look a li- that may surprise us are related to uh, just the severity of where we are. We have to keep uh, technology advancing. We have to keep treatments advancing. And the o- only way to do that is to relax some of these older yeah. <laughs> requirements so that we can keep uh, research going.
0: I think the industry during April, we were doing these meetups every day. Jessalyn who's on, was on a, like all of them. So she knows, but the, the, the initial tendency was to try to compare this to like the great recession. And it's totally different because like I said, people were getting furloughed and then hired in the same month. And we didn't really see the studies stop. The, the surveys kept coming throughout the whole thing so it's like the industry always expected hey within 3 months you know we want to have all these surveys so that we can start activating these sites and during the great re- during the great recession it was not the case people were getting furloughed there was no end in sight studies were being dropped and it was in many ways it was a less scary time because there's no virus but in other ways it was more scary i think financially uh, at least for our industry, I know other industries here got decimated w- with hospitality, but I'm talking just clinical research. Uh, I think 08 was much scarier than 2020, as at least as far as like business in clinical research is concerned.
3: Yeah, maybe much more of a financial like in 2008, it was less money, less money floating around less funding to companies you know bigger impact to you guys
0: probably probably yeah. yeah yeah because 08 we had a bubble in like 05 06 but it was primarily real estate bubble now we're seeing more of like a vc bubble that was emerging like from 2012 until 2020 and i think that vc bubble popped but a lot of these biotechs were getting financed and vendors and startups not so much sites but i think the sites were benefiting from the activity uh and i see i i mean even if there's a second wave i think the industry is going to continue doing these studies at least from the indications i'm seeing hmm. i got a <laughs>
3: Jeff, but thanks Dan, for
0: hosting great to meet everyone else yeah thank you pete molly. appreciate it man zymewire is the way to go
3: molly i'll uh ask the team about your question too We'll we'll uh Got to do another survey at least yeah, do it
2: I would, I would love it we're trying to do a survey now so i understand the whole surveyed out but
3: um yeah
2: <laughs> yeah it's uh it would be interesting we also use zymewire so good
3: zymewire is there. an amazing tool all right i'll leave there it's gonna get awkward if I stick around. <laughs> that's a good way to leave that's a great way to leave see you guys thank you
1: pete
0: jesseline what's new with you what's going on it's nice to see you again
4: Hey, y'all. Same story, different day, trying to survive the pandemic. I've actually been doing a lot of um, one-on-one coaching with my people in my database. I've seen as recruitment has been paused temporarily for the industry, at least from my side of things. I've been focusing on just speaking with the people in my database, helping them, be better professionals learn how to go after the job they want giving them one-on-one coaching helping them with resume i've actually been working with ashley a lot and we kind of have been tag teaming a lot of our clients so i talk with them about how to Decide what jobs they want, how to go after if they want a CRA job, CRC. I coached them on how to determine that, set goals, how to aggressively pursue that. More importantly, how to interview for that. And then with Ashley Margot, she handled their resume building, branded them on LinkedIn. So we've been tag teaming and trying to get people better prepared for the job markets when clinical research gets back into full bloom, whenever that will be. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, Ashley know. Margo's amazing. Oh, she's awesome. That yeah, she you know, is. she's
0: a CRA now. She got hired during yes. this pandemic, you know?
4: Exactly. So I was so excited for her. So I've been working with her and trying to get people, you know, to be better branded online and to present themselves more appropriately when they do go to meet the CROs and pharmaceuticals for jobs.
0: That's amazing. I think that you need to do that because people don't think branding is for them. They think it's like for Apple or for Google. you know, but it's those companies have been branding there since they started. Like branding mm-hmm. is your LinkedIn profile. It's what you post. It's right. if you tweet what you tweet, it's how your C V looks. Like it's the exactly. things I talk about on the Patreon channel too. But thanks for joining, by the way, jeslyn The Patreon, that's what we teach people how to do. Oh yeah. Write a ebook, you know. <laughs> I mean, you everybody everybody's expert on something. Even in yeah. within research, there's so many niches here. Like you can write an ebook, uh, co- like a hundred pages, put it on Amazon, not necessarily for the money. You could put yeah. it for 99 cents, but to get the attention, you know, here's a true story. Right. And here's a true story. I have a book, it's 33 bucks. It's not 99 cents, 33 bucks. Uh, comprehensive guide to clinical research. Yesterday I had a zoom meeting with a guy, for, uh, a sponsor from Europe. He said, I went on Amazon. I'm not making this up. I didn't know about you. I went on Amazon and I typed, (laughs) I searched clinical research because I wanted to see what was there. So they're using Amazon as a search engine. Mm -hmm. People don't (laughs) think about that. Okay. I bought the book. We make it and now I, I learned you have a CRO because I put the ad in the book. Here's my CRO. And we need help with this thing in Mexico that we're doing. So, you know, like that's branding. Everybody can do that. It's like, it, it, it's not this crazy thing to write a book. I mean, if you want to write like a big book, it's a little harder, but you can write like a little pamphlet, 20 pages, 30 pages. That's mm-hmm. branding. Now you're putting that on Amazon. You can give it away for free on your blog in exchange for an email address. That's the name of the game. There's no reason why individuals can't do this either. No reason. So I think you and Ashley are doing a really good job teaching people this, okay. and this is why I started my yeah. Patreon. I don't want to dilute my YouTube channel with this kind of stuff because I'm not yeah. really a branding guy. But people that are interested in learning, I have a Patreon for that, and we we explain how to do that. We have these monthly masterminds too. It's only five bucks a month. Five bucks a month. That's it. So uh, yeah. yeah, definitely interesting times. So this is five bucks.
4: To be- <laughs> that's your five
0: bucks right there, but that's good too because it gets you energy. When I drink <laughs> caffeine, that's five bucks well spent. Because when I I don't try to I try not to drink too much caffeine, I get too excited. Now it's not good for my blood pressure. <laughs> but that ROI on that five dollars, you know how many ideas I get when I drink like a lot of coffee. I mean, there is true ROI there. It's also bad ROI on my blood pressure, so I stopped. But yeah. the ROI there. I come up with some good stuff while I'm on caffeine, also some good podcast episodes.
4: Interesting.
0: So yeah, thank you, Jeslin, for doing that personal branding and the the recruitment stuff. As far as job recruitment, um, I'm still seeing a lot of recruiters reaching out asking, "Hey, you know, if there's any students that graduate that want to, you know, talk to us." So I think the demand is there for uh for job seekers it's just mm-hmm. because of the furloughs i think there is good talent that has experience like has a good amount of experience so the sponsors right. are are and the recruiters are looking for those people but those people are going to get hired i mean if they haven't been already so we're still going to need new people joining the industry we're still going to need fresh blood just like we need new sites and new investment Investigators because we need new patients. We're gonna need new CRAs new coordinators. I mean, there's not enough to go around So you're yeah. doing a, a true service to the industry by helping these people learn about the industry
4: Yeah Indeed because um, like I said one of the major things of news is especially Those of us who are trying to get industry the information we have is really just restricted into the hands on clinical research knowledge, but then they don't have the experience that's required for the CRLs and for them to interview at least. So there's that um, gap to where they have the working knowledge of clinical research, but they don't have the the experience so now the question trying to get them how get them into building experience getting them to market themselves appropriately getting them to brand themselves appropriately how to network with these people so the jobs are there especially now with this pandemic and with so much forlowing going on and laying off coming on it's a little harder for those who are new. just Because we don't quite meet the criteria. But then, like you said, those who are experienced, they definitely have their pick because they already have that industry experience. So those of us who have that are able to get better opportunities between furloughs. But for those who are trying to get in, there is a bit of branding and marketing. For lack of a better word, hustling that needs to be done. And that's what I'm trying to get for the new get brand markets and present yourselves appropriately as clinical research professionals. And that's where the key is for the people I work with.
0: I agree. And once you're in, you're in. And once you're oh, in, yes. the benefit of being a generalist has never been more important. I've been talking about being a generalist for years. You know, most people, I think it's half and half, not most, but half and half agree. The other half were giving me a hard time for it. And now almost nobody's giving me a hard time for that because they're like you're right you know the ones the coordinators that got furloughed at my site were the ones that uh, that refused to learn how to do patient recruitment and budgets and the ones that did guess what they're the ones that were kept uh so yeah uh, but even if you are just a specialist if you have your experience even a year you can basically name your job in this industry uh i know somebody uh, carlos for the people who who know he's sometimes he uh comes on the videos but usually he'll make my quotes for instagram so he's been a coordinator mm-hmm. at my san bernardino site for like six years really good we we got him nice. we trained him he came in research naive now he's obviously super experienced he had to move he moved to ventura which is like three hours north uh, north of LA even so there's no way he could have mm-hmm. kept his job. So yeah, I talked to the PI yesterday in Ventura a lot of people know who she is uh, dr. Hazen. she does uh, yeah. uh, microbiome stuff I, I Mentioned the fact that this is what happened to him in five minutes. She's like hey Send have him send me his CV before that day was over. He was hired so nice. Getting your foot in the door is the most important thing because the demand is there. The demand is always gonna be there for study coordinators with the exceptions of times like the Great Recession. Uh, Mm -hmm. But even that was like eight months, nine months, 12 months maybe, and then people came back. So generalists, very important, uh, but just getting started is important. And the way you do that is through your brand, personal brand, or if you're a site like Dr. Kumar, business brand. Or build yourself as the you know the face of the business, the figurehead, because it's all the same thing. No matter what you do, it's branding.
4: And you raise an interesting point that I coach uh, my clients with: is there is power in connecting and leveraging your relationships. A lot of people get into whether it's volunteer or into networks like this or webinars and they do not connect with people they do not network with people even on something as available across the world as linkedin a lot of people do not go on there they do not network with people they do not connect with people and that's one thing i coach my clients to do is hey linkedin is still a networking site you go on there and genuinely Connect with people and network with them, build a relationship with them because these are the people in the future when you do need that job, when you do need that referral, when you do need information as to who's hiring and you know what you need to do to get into any CRO or pharmaceutical. These are the people that will come to your your rescue if you've built a relationship with them, if you've connected with them and if you network with them. So that's an interesting point that you raised that I wish everyone would know learn to connect and network with people. It's a lifeline.
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, that's really like, look at Molly. And by the way, I love the cat, Molly. Uh, <laughs> we got to make the cat, like the brand for. She's for, uh, really
2: aggressive.
0: Really? I have <laughs> Aggressive one with
2: love. She's aggressive good girl loving.
0: <laughs> okay, good. But yeah, I was going to say, look at Molly, you know, she's on here. We're talking about something randomly. She had no idea <laughs> we're going to talk about this. She put a link. I'm going to put it underneath the video and the podcast and people are going to go check out her company now. um, Archmedics because she networked. I mean, this networking is not anything complicated. It's just being there, being a resource and that's it. You know, and then obviously talking to as many people as possible without being spammy about Mm -hmm. research and about what you do.
2: I really just came to listen to y'all talk and (laughs) learn and just learn more. So, that's why I
0: came. Thank you. I appreciate that. Nice. We were we we're gonna do these like uh, once a month. We were doing it every day for like over a month. Yeah, Jasmine was on like almost all of them. That was crazy. Indeed. It, it got very I tiring. Loved it,
4: though. <laughs> I
0: love it too, but it got very tiring like by week three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the once a month I like I like the once a month meetups too. And it's good for all of us yeah. to network get to know each other better um i do have a slack group too that uh, we can put everyone in in the into this group um so just message me if you want to be in there and i can put you in that slack group as well
2: okay
1: so i'm sorry like what does Mo- molly do you have a site or what does she do i'm, she head,
2: does- of- I'm head of marketing at a company called archimedics we have a a platform that's uh, meant for delivering digital content, like anything that you do around site startup, um, all of the training that you do, and especially things that you did uh, in person before. It's for, it it goes beyond virtual training. It's more of a providing um, the ability to drive people to make decisions, to reflect on information and and actually apply it uh, to, the field. So I am, I've been in the clinical operations industry about half my career, but it always helps for me to listen to people in the industry. That's why I'm here.
0: <laughs> Still, listening. Yeah, here it is. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: so who,
1: who are, your clients? are they usually CROs and sponsors?
2: Yeah. CROs and sponsors. Primarily. We also have a CME side of the business where we've, we've done a lot of continuing med medical education over Years so, um, but this is this is an area that we're we're growing in. But CROs primarily.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, nice that's good name. stuff. You guys are doing a good job with that too.
2: Okay. So yeah, I mean we're a, a lot. <laughs>
0: Oh, it looks good. I just shared it and I'll put the links uh, because you shared something really good, a value for everybody. And yeah, I mean, we'll do this every month. Next week, we're going to have a webinar too. Awesome. Uh, I forgot what the topic is, but I'll be sending an email uh, this week about that one. So that'll be on Tuesday. Uh, it's a good topic. I just can't remember what it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guarantee you it'll be good. I guarantee. Uh, at least for somebody. I don't know who. But. Uh, It'll be good. But thank you guys so much for coming on and uh, looking forward to the webinar, looking forward to connecting with everybody more online and uh, sharing and being a resource for one another. So thank you all for doing this. Uh, I appreciate it.
4: Thank you for doing this as well and creating these platforms and forums for us all to come together in clinical research. So thank you, Dan. We really appreciate you.
0: Thank you, guys have a good uh, rest of the day and we'll we'll be we'll see you guys i'm sure somewhere on social Maybe. media if not the webinar <laughs> on tuesday so take All care right. guys so hey everybody thank you very much for listening to another episode of random musings from the clinical trials guru again if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to this podcast make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind please uh and also go to the clinical if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, You can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com, and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera, and you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com.